Today's scripture is found in the book of Acts chapter 6, verses 8 through 15, and it reads, And Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. Then some of those who belonged to the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, and of the Cyrenians, and of the Alexandrians, and of those from Cilicia and Asia, rose up and disputed with Stephen. But they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. Then they secretly instigated men who said, we have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes, and they came up, came upon him and seized him and brought him before the council. And they set up false witnesses who said, this man never ceases to speak words against this holy place and the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and will change the customs that Moses delivered to us. And gazing at him, all who sat in the council saw that his face was like the face of an angel. Amen. Most of us in this country, when I say the, the date, throw out the date, October 31st, many of you know October 31st to be Halloween. Well, if you are a uh, church historian, you like church history and have a bent to church history, you know that October 31st is actually better known as Reformation Day. Reformation Day. It is the, the day that Martin Luther in 1517 nailed the 95 theses to the door in Wittenberg, Germany. Four years later, in 1521, uh, Martin Luther stood before a council uh, and they were asking him to recant from the, the things he had uh, said about the Catholic Church, his writings and all the things that he had, he had taught on. Luther that day couldn't recant. He, 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 he held true to the opposition that had come against him, setting in motion the Reformation and Because of Martin Luther, we gather here today and have the the Bibles in front of us, and we can read it for ourselves, and this was, God used Martin Luther to spark a movement in the church. Well, long before Martin Luther, God used another servant. His name was, was Stephen. We read about Stephen here in our text this morning. Last week, Luke had introduced us to seven men whom God had raised up to help the early church. The help the church, early church, tend to the needs of the body. And as we learned last week, these men weren't just chosen at random. No, there were serious qualifications that were required of these Men, if, if these men were going to be called to serve the church, called to serve the body, they needed to be men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom. These were the qualifications. This week, Luke highlights one of these seven men that were chosen. 
as we are introduced to Stephen. Outside of the fact that Stephen met the qualifications for the men who would serve this early church, we we don't know a whole lot about Stephen. His appearance in in history is, is not very long, but God would use Stephen to change the course of the church, to fulfill his plans and his purposes for his church. What makes Stephen's role in redemptive history so memorable, what makes it so memorable, wasn't about Stephen. You know, we read about Stephen today because it was not about Stephen. It was about God's plan. It's, it's always about God's plan, his, his purposes, and he is pleased to use faithful servants to accomplish his redemptive plan. And Stephen is one of those servants that God used. And God gives him gifts to accomplish his plans. First, first we see that Stephen is a servant full of grace and power. That's what it says in Stephen, verse 8. And Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. Stephen, in addition to to tending to tables, in addition to caring for widows, is engrossed in the healing ministry as well. He is performing great wonders and signs among the people participating in the same type of ministry that the apostles were participating in. The language that that Luke uses here is the same language that he used of the apostles in, in chapters 5 and verse 12 in chapter 2 and verse 43, where, where it says, and many signs and wonders were being performed by the apostles. It's the same language there. Here is Stephen participating in the same type of ministry that the apostles were participating in. Here's a, here's a quick point of, of application. Stephen, although given a specific responsibility in the community, namely serving tables and and caring for widows, Stephen went above and beyond seeking to do the work of the ministry. Stephen was all in. He had been the recipient of, of God's grace, and his desire was to give away his life in service for the king. He waited tables, took care of the widows, performed miracles, and he went about evangelizing, teaching, and preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. Stephen was, was, was concerned with running the race, and he, and he wanted to run the race hard. He wasn't just doing what he was asked to do. He was moved to serve the kingdom, in whatever way he could. His life was saturated with ministry. He'd been so moved by the grace of God on his life. Yes, he was called to serve tables. Yes, he was called to to serve the widows, but, but he had a desire to proclaim the word of God, and so he went out and did that. Is this not instructive for us? 
God may give each and every one of us a, a specific function in the body, but it does not mean that that is the only thing you or I can do. We need to be always looking for ways in which we can serve in the kingdom. Just because I serve on the praise team, just because I help greet people at the door, just because I serve on the sound team doesn't mean I don't have the ability to go about evangelizing. We help to serve tables. And we give our lives away for the sake of the kingdom so that the gospel would go forth. Stephen, Stephen, full of faith, is engaging in the work of the ministry. But notice that the emphasis, the emphasis is not on Stephen. Luke starts out by saying that Stephen, full of grace and power, was performing these miracles. Full of grace and power. Don't don't just skip over that. Don't think that that's a throwaway phrase. Luke had Stephen is going around performing miracles, great wonders, because he is full of grace and power. Full of grace. Full of grace. We see that phrase also in John 1 and verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Whose glory? Jesus' glory. Glory as the only son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus was full of grace. He was full of the favor of God. And so it is so with Stephen. He is full of the grace and the favor of God as he is performing these miracles. He is full of God's grace, full of his favor. Get this, his ministry was because of grace, and his ministry was marked with grace. Brothers and sisters, any effectiveness that you or I have in ministry is a grace of God. It is an unmerited gift. In spite of your abilities, it is a grace of God. Paul says in Romans 12 and 6, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. The gifts that we are given to serve and edify the body are God's grace to us. They're given to us as his grace to us. Stephen's ministry was because of grace, but his ministry was also marked with grace. Marked with grace. He he displayed a, a compassion and the love of Christ as he performed these miracles. 1 Peter 4 and 10 says, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Here is the reminder that Stephen was a steward of the grace that he had been given by God. And as he went about performing these miracles, he did so with Compassion and and with mercy, the the character that was found in his 
Lord. He was gracious to those he ministered to. Stephen was full of grace, but he was also full of power. This power by which Stephen is operating with is the power that was promised to the disciples back in Acts 1 and 8. Stephen's not doing anything new. The Holy Spirit was working through the apostles and working through Stephen, Acts 1-8. But you will receive power, power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. These miracles are being performed by a power that is Holy Spirit given. Remember, remember that's the title of our series, is it not? Acts of the Holy Spirit The power of the Holy Spirit is at work in the life of Stephen. Effective ministry only comes about by this power. It only comes about by that, about by the Holy Spirit to try to operate outside of this power. To assume that you can have effective ministry apart from the power of the Holy Spirit is to work in vain. It is Futile. You are building wood, hay, and straw that will burn up when the fire comes. Peter was full of grace, full of power. Paul clearly understood this. He says in 1 Corinthians 2, 4 and 5 through 5, And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. So that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Full of power. Effective ministry only comes about by the power of the Holy Spirit. Stephen was full of it. He was all in. God gifted his servant with grace and power. Stephen was also a a servant full of wisdom and the Spirit. Full of wisdom and the Spirit. Here's the deal. For it was true for the early church, and it's true for us today. It will be true for Christians a hundred years from now. Faithful service to Christ in a sinful world is going to bring trouble. It's going to bring trouble. If, if you have not seen this as, we, as we've been going through the book of Acts, then you're sleeping on Sunday. We talk about it every Sunday, it seems like. Can't escape it. If you're trying to live a life without trouble, without opposition, I'm sorry, but Christianity isn't for you. It's inevitable. Faithful service in a sinful world will bring Trouble. It will bring opposition. It did for Stephen. But notice, notice in our text that Stephen's opposition doesn't come as a result of the miracles he's performing. These Greek speaking Jews start to give him a hard time when he began opening up his mouth and began to preach and teach. The gospel of Jesus Christ. The miracles were not the issue. 
The miracles are never the issue. The, they, they, they never are for an unbelieving world. They, there is no problem with the healing of people and the restoration of families and the, the power of the gospel changing lives. The world has no problem with Christians feeding the poor and, and meeting the needs of those who are least among us. In fact, they expect the church to do that. They say, why isn't the church doing these things? Why are there poor among us when we have the church? They expect us to do these things. They commend the church for doing those things. As long as she keeps her mouth shut about what she believes. When the church opens up her mouth as Stephen did and begins to proclaim the message of the gospel and the truths contained in Holy Scripture, the gloves come off and they are ready to throw blows. The opposition begins. The opposition begins and it began for Stephen. Stephen goes to the the synagogue to proclaim the message of Christ and he is met with opposition. Once again, Luke reminds us that it is it does not uh, that he does not operate in his own power. Stephen does not operate in his own power or by his own authority, nor does he speak with his own authority. Do you know what keeps most Christians silent when opposition comes? Do you know what? Well, let me let me um, let me personalize it. Do you know what keeps you silent when opposition comes? Fear. Fear. Fear is often what keeps us silent when opposition comes. But it is not just the fear of how you will be treated because of what you believe. But you are fearful that you don't know enough. You won't be able to give a coherent argument or be able to answer the objections people have against the Christian faith. That is is really what hinders most Christians from, from, from opening up our mouths. We have gotten past the the fear of people, the fear of what people will say about us or think about us. We just don't want to appear ignorant. We just don't want to appear like we don't know what we believe or can't explain it. We don't want to have to answer the questions about evil. What if, what if they want me to explain the Trinity or how Jesus can be both God and man? What will I say? What if they ask me about the dinosaurs? What am I, what am I to say? So brothers and sisters, These are the objections that keep us from opening our mouths. And these these fears are real. And there's a couple of things I want to put into your remembrance that that will help you overcome some of these objections and and begin to loosen up your tongue so that you can speak when these things come. First, we need to know that, that none of us None of us has the ability in and of ourselves to argue someone into the kingdom of God. Our arguments and our ability to answer people's 
questions and objections in and of themselves can't change someone's heart. Ask King Agrippa in Acts chapter 26. We're going to get there one day. I know we're in Acts 26 now, but we're going to get to Acts 26. But when we get there, we'll be reminded that Paul gave a clear defense of the gospel. And King Agrippa wasn't convinced. Wasn't convinced. The Holy Spirit must change a sinner's heart. And then God may be pleased to use our words or our reasonable arguments as a means to bring a sinner to repentance and faith. But never, never think that it all rests on your ability to communicate the gospel effectively and the truth of Scripture and answer every single objection. Unless the Holy Spirit changes their heart, your words mean nothing to them. It's the first thing to remember. The second thing to remember is clearly found in our text. Look at, look at verse 9 and 10. Then some of those who belonged to the synagogue of the freemen, as it was called, and of the Cyrenians and the Alexandrians and of those from Sicilia and Asia, rose up and disputed with Stephen. But they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. Here's what we remember. Those that open up their mouths in the midst of opposition find that the Holy Spirit gives them words to speak. He gives you words to speak. That, listen, what Stephen is experiencing here as these, as these, Jewish, um, as these Jews are opposing him, these Greek-speaking Jews are opposing him, what he's experiencing is what God told him he would experience. This is the fulfillment of what Jesus said would would happen in Luke 21, 12 to 15. He says, but before all this, they will lay their hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues and prisons, and you will be brought before kings and governors for my namesake. This will be your opportunity to bear witness. Settle it, therefore, in your minds not to meditate beforehand how to answer. For I will give you a mouth and wisdom which none of your adversaries will be able to withstand or contradict. The reason we don't open up our mouths in the midst of opposition is because we don't believe what Jesus says. He promised his disciples, and if you are a follower of Christ, then you are his disciple. He promised that if given opportunity to bear witness to him, he would give us the words to speak. Brothers and sisters, we can't can't change people's hearts and minds with our own arguments. Holy Spirit must do that. And our arguments may be the means by which God saves them. But we also remember that we can open up our mouths in the midst of opposition because in bearing witness to, to, to Jesus, to Christ, he promised that he would give us the words to speak. Oh, oh, we know this to be true. I'm sure many of us have had the, the experience where, 
where we are having a conversation with a friend or a neighbor or maybe a a JW has come to our, our doors and we have engaged in conversation with them. And as they are opposing Christ, you find this boldness and you begin to speak and proclaim the word and and all of a sudden, you begin to answer their, their objections, and, and you, you put, put together some coherent arguments. And, and as you're speaking, you think in your mind, like, where did that come from? How did I know that? Man, this argument sounds good. I actually believe this. Slow your roll. Don't start to think more highly of yourself than you ought. That's the spirit, brothers and sisters. That's Jesus doing what he had promised. That as opposition comes, he is bringing up things that you have learned. Oh, remember, remember, Luke tells us that, 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 that Stephen was full of the spirit. That he was full of the spirit. Brothers and sisters. When we are facing opposition, this is a reminder that we need to be feeding the Spirit, sitting under the preached Word, sitting under those who are explaining the text to us, so that when opposition comes, the Holy Spirit can bring those things to our remembrance, so that we can give an argument or the reason for the the hope that we have. Oh, if you've never experienced this, then perhaps, perhaps you are spending too much time gratifying the desires of the flesh and not those of the spirit. Brothers and sisters, give attention to the word of God. Give attention to the preached word. As Stephen begins to engage these Greek speakers about their questions and opposition, Luke says that these men could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. In other words, Luke was wearing these brothers out. He was wearing them out. They could not bring up anything that Stephen could not answer. His faculty with the, with the scriptures could not be overcome. Again, the temptation might be to look at Stephen and be impressed with his ability and and his knowledge. But Luke once again diverts our attention to the Holy Spirit. It was not that these men could not withstand the wisdom of Stephen. They could not withstand the wisdom of God. Listen to how Paul describes where the wisdom comes from in in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 1, verses 26 through 30. It's a common common piece of scripture. We read it often here. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Any wisdom we demonstrate is God-given. 
So it was with Stephen. His wisdom was spirit wrought. It was God-given. Do you lack wisdom? Do you lack wisdom as, as you find yourself answering people's objections or, or you receive opposition against what you believe? Pray for it. Ask for it. James 1.5, if, if, if you, any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask. Who, who God, let, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given to him. You ask and God will give it. Brothers and sisters, let us not rely on our own wisdom. Let us not try to come up with our own arguments. Let us not go into an argument or, or have opposition and not call upon the Spirit for help. I mean, why would we? Especially when wisdom from God is available. If we, if we would just ask. Stephen with wisdom from the Holy Spirit, is going in on these brothers, and they can't do a thing with him. One commentator says, one commentator says, if these Greek-speaking Jews had realized that they were opposing the Holy Spirit, they would have known that they were fighting a battle they could not win. Those men had showed up that day to a gunfight with a butter knife. They had no chance. They had no chance. And so you know what they do? They do what all sinful human beings do when they are backed in a corner. When they are up against the ropes, they cheat. They scratch and they claw to get their way out. They cheat, they lie, they hit below the belt because they're backed in a corner. That's what these men do. Instead of engaging with the arguments, instead of accepting what, what Peter was actually saying and, and believing it to be true, they resort to lying. They resort to coming up with false accusations. Look at, look at what the text says in verse 11. Then they secretly instigated men who said, we have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. And they stirred up the people and the elders and the, and the scribes and they came upon him and seized him and brought him before the council. And they set up false witness who said, this man never ceases to speak words against this holy place and the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and will change the customs that Moses delivered to us. They figured that they could not win this argument with Stephen. And since they really couldn't find that he had done anything wrong, They started to make things up and began to rile people who would testify falsely against him. Here were the charges. Here were the charges against Stephen. That he was speaking blasphemous ideas about the temple and Moses. In other words, Stephen was preaching what he had heard from the apostles and what the apostles had heard from Jesus. Stephen was preaching and teaching what Jesus taught. Namely, Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. Jesus spoke about this. I will destroy this temple, but in three days I will raise it up again. They thought he was speaking about the temple, but he was actually speaking about his body, his death, burial, and resurrection. 
that, the that Jesus was the fulfillment of the law. And that Moses, though great, though loved by the people, though honored, Jesus was greater. This is what, this is what Stephen was preaching and proclaimed that. Stephen was being accused of preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what he was being accused of. And that seemed blasphemous to these Greek-speaking Jews because the gospel rightly proclaimed, rightly taught, contradicts all earthly man-made religion. Flies in the face of man's idea of how things should be. And to them, it sounds blasphemous. You do understand that's what's happening in our day. You do understand that is what's happening in our day. Nobody wants to deal with the facts of scriptures as it relates to abortion and homosexual marriage and sex outside of marriage. The list goes on and on. They, they can't engage with the arguments Scripture presents, so they resort to false accusations. Oh, those Christians, they're just bigots. They're intolerant. They're unloving. Brothers and sisters, nothing, nothing can be farther from the truth. Those are false accusations in light of the gospel. Sin is sin, and no one, none of us deserves heaven. No one does. We all deserve God's wrath. We can't, we can't work our way to God. We can't find our own way to him, and we can't live any old way and expect him to accept us. Brothers and sisters, he has provided a way in Christ, and it is through Christ that we get to God. We repent of our sins, and we trust the finished work of Christ on the cross. And you know what? That flies in the face of the culture. For we want to come up with our own ways. We want to live our lives the way we want to live them. To call people to repent is to have those who hear it bear false witness and call us bigots and call us intolerant. Stephen proclaims truth to these men and they round up others to bear false witness against him. Does it sound familiar? Does that sound familiar? Mark 14 55 through 58, now the chief priests and the whole council were seeking testimony against Jesus to put him to death, but they found none, for many bore false witness against him, but their testimony did not agree, and, and some stood up and bore false witness against him, saying, we have heard him say, I will destroy this temple that is made with hands, and in three days I will build another not made with hands. What, what Stephen is experiencing at the hands of these men is what our Lord, what his Lord experienced. Jesus told his disciples that they would receive the same treatment as him. But oh, what joy, oh, oh how, how worthy to be counted to suffer like our Lord. 
as I'm looking at Stephen this week, there's just so many examples of him identifying with Jesus. False accusations. The way we'll see later that Stephen dies. The, the full of grace and, and, and power. Stephen is living out Philippians 3.10. It says, That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. Stephen has experienced the power of Jesus' resurrection. The, The power that raised Jesus from the dead is the same power that is working through Stephen to perform these miracles. He's experiencing the power of the resurrection. That I may share in his sufferings. He is sharing in the sufferings of Jesus, being accused falsely like his Lord. As we will see later, Stephen will become like him in his death. Brothers and sisters, we are never more Christ-like in this world than when we share in the sufferings of Christ as we are a witness for him. Stephen, in his witness for Christ, identifies with him. Oh, brothers and sisters, I pray that we may as well. Stephen is before counsel about to To plead his case, we see a servant full of boldness and the presence of God. Look at verse 15. And gazing gazing at him, all who sat in the council saw that his face was like the face of an angel. Stephen, as he is standing before council, his appearance changes. Luke says that his face was like that of an angel. Perhaps it was glowing. Maybe it appeared as though his, fa- it appeared as though his face was glowing. Something was different. There was, his appearance changed because everyone noticed it. I believe his face was shining. Now, now I, I, I can't explain what it looked like. And, and I don't know. Uh, fully, I can't ex- fully explain how it happened, but here's what I do know. I know that it wasn't magic, and I know that it was from God. It was supernatural. After, this, this was not the first time, this was not the first time this phenomenon happened in Scripture. After Moses meets with God on Mount Sinai to receive the law, the Bible says in verse 30, of Exodus 34, Aaron and all the people of Israel saw Moses. And behold, the skin of his face shone, and they were afraid to come near him. Brothers and sisters, the shining face of Stephen as he stood there in front of all of these men was to let Stephen know that God was with him and to let those in the council know he was a servant of God just like Moses, whom these men held in high esteem, who they accused Stephen of blaspheming. 
Oh, as they saw Stephen's face shining, they, they, they would have thought about Moses. They've heard about Moses' shining face. God was honoring the boldness and the faithfulness of his servant by affirming him with his presence. Brothers and sisters, God is with those who are in the midst of opposition. This is what Stephen recognized and realized. He had a boldness. He was filled with power and grace from on high, wisdom and the spirit, boldness in the presence of God. And he was able to stand and, as we will see, declare the gospel of Jesus Christ in the midst of opposition. Would you do the same, brothers and sisters? Would you do the same? Open up your mouth and speak. Oh, the fears are real. Believe what Jesus says in the midst of opposition. When you are bearing witness for me, I will give you the words to speak, to proclaim, to witness, to testify of me. Brothers and sisters, the face of opposition. Let us not shrink back, but open up our mouths and declare Christ. Let us pray.